0: Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I'm the pastor of Elevation Church, and this is our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so we can get you these new sermons every week. Hope you're blessed today.
1: Well, welcome to Elevation. Hasn't this been an amazing time of worship already at all of our locations? Those of you joining us online, Merry Christmas. You did it. You're here. What a beautiful time we've had together this morning and uh, i love coming to church but i love coming especially this time of year because it forces me to stop thinking about all the things that i have left to do this week and just spend an hour focusing on why we really celebrate christmas that jesus came he was born in a manger and we worship him and so Today, I am really excited about the word that God has given me to say to you, stand on your feet. I'm gonna share our scripture and we will jump right in. All right, um, turn in your Bible, if you have one, to Mark chapter eight, and we're gonna start in verse one. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have, had, and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse along the way because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, but where in this remote place can, we, can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked, seven, they replied. And he told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them. And gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. And they did so. They had a few small fish as well. And he gave thanks for them also. And told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present. God, would you bless this word today? We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, give a couple of good Christmas hugs before you take your seat. Thank you, worship team, that was amazing. I think Jenna and John Sal should do more duets, eh? That was really beautiful. Okay. Is it okay if I give you a Christmas sermon that's not from a Christmas Bible passage Good because I already am um, First, I want to tell you a, a, sh- a short story don't don't for all those of you who don't like long stories. I like long stories um, but I have a short one for you today. Many of you know that Stephen and I um, we got married when we were practically babies, right three weeks after our college graduation at twenty two years of old, 22 years of age, we got married. And we basically moved out of our dorms and into our first apartment. So during our first year of marriage, we were figuring out everything together. We were figuring out how to get along, how to budget, what we, what we did after work, how to celebrate holidays, what we did on weekends. And we had so many conversations about how his family did this and my family did that. And little by little, I began to realize that there were things in my childhood that I thought were commonplace, and they were actually weird. <laughs> so here's an example. One night after I got home from teaching school, I said to Steven, I said, hey, I need to get groceries for the week. Let's just go eat dinner at the grocery store. And he looked back at me and he said, you mean go out to eat after we get groceries? I said, no, we'll just eat while we shop. And like by the look on his face, I had one of those moments where I realized my family was not normal. So you see, my family, occasionally, not like once a week or anything, but occasionally, we would eat dinner at the grocery store. Now, I'm not talking about go to Costco and eat the samples. We did that too. I'm talking like sometimes when my mom had a busy week and a long list of groceries for our family of five, we would all go to Publix, where shopping is a pleasure, and (laughs) while my parents put items in the cart, we would open things up and eat them as we walked along. So a deli meat and cheese slices, you know, you roll it together and Doritos straight out of the family size bag. And you're helping me know that this was not normal. I didn't know you were gonna laugh that much. Um, and then when it came time to check out, they would just pay for the open items along with the other things in the cart. And I specifically remember complaining to my mom one night because I didn't wanna eat dinner at the grocery store. And she was like, well, why? And I said, I, I, I want a sandwich. I, I don't want to just eat meat and cheese from the deli. And she said, well, just open the bread and make yourself a sandwich. And I did. And a decade later, I realized that other families didn't eat dinner at the grocery store. The title of my sermon today is The Bread is in Your Hands. Let's go back to the disciples for a minute. I shouldn't need to give you too much backstory on this because Pastor Stephen preached on this story just a few months ago. And the sermon was called, Navigating Not Enough. Does anybody remember that one? It's the one where he talked about girl math and God math and how, and yeah, you remember that one? And how enough is not a feeling, it's a place of faith. It was so good, if you missed it, you you gotta go back because this is part two of that message. And today I wanna open up that phrase, enough is not a feeling, it's a place of faith. So what is a feeling? A feeling, especially this time of year, is tired and irritated, overwhelmed, afraid. And we feel these feelings when we're faced with a situation or a season where we wonder if we have enough. And when I find myself in a place of not enough, I automatically think that the solution is more right? More time, more money, if I had more help. But the problem is in the moment, more is outside of your control. You don't have more. If you could get more, you would get more. So sometimes the solution is right there in your hands. And what you need is the faith to see what you actually have. You don't actually need more. You need the faith to see what you already have. And the courage to turn it over to Jesus. Now, I don't want to be too hard on the disciples because I do think that following Jesus would have been simultaneously the coolest thing ever and the hardest thing ever. But I do have some questions for the disciples, particularly about this story. Now, you might have noticed in your Bible that this story is called the feeding of the four thousand. And that's because just two chapters back, we have almost the same story but it's called the feeding of the 5000 and the two stories are almost identical so much so that if both um if, if Both Matthew and Mark, they tell both stories. So they both tell the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. Some people would argue that maybe they were the same thing and people got mixed up, but they're not. So in the feeding of the 5,000, the crowds gathered around Jesus and he healed people and he taught them and they were hearing and understanding the good news for the first time. And all of a sudden, so much time had passed that there was not enough food for the people to journey back home because obviously, For a crowd that size to gather, they would have had to go out to a remote place, and many of them had come from several towns away, and Jesus felt compassion for the people. He wanted to give them something to eat. Now, I get it this time why the disciples were baffled when Jesus told them to feed the crowd, and in this particular passage, Jesus just looks at them, and he says, you feed them, and they're like, Jesus, it would take more than half a year's wages to feed all of these people. And Jesus said, go see what you have. And then the disciple Andrew, does anybody remember this story? He finds a kid with five loaves and two fish and they bring that to Jesus and he takes it and he blesses it and they all eat and they're satisfied. And the Bible tells us it wasn't just 5,000 men, but it was 5,000 men plus the women and children. And they had 12 baskets full left over. A miracle. I mean, the disciples must have been flying high to be a part of feeding that many people, right? So two chapters later, Mark gives us the account of Jesus feeding the 4,000. And I'm like, how much time could there have been between these two stories? So I Googled it. Most scholars think, of course, you think I looked it up in like a commentary or something? I Googled it. Most scholars think that it was about six months, so only six months after the disciples found themselves in almost the same exact place. Crowds gather so large. They have to go out to a remote place. Jesus teaches and heals, and so much time passes. They run out of food, and they won't be able to make the journey back home. Okay, Look at the passage again. Jesus says, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and have had nothing to eat. Have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse along the way because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? Seriously? Not one out of the 12 thinks to say… Jesus, let's go. we got seven loaves. Do that thing again where you multiply the bread. And then another disciple maybe starts singing. Dun, 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 dun. Dun, 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 dun. And then they're like, and I believe. I see you. Well, there's 12 of them and not one of them? Now, maybe they really did forget about the feeding of the 5,000 just six months before. Maybe they had seen Jesus do that many miracles and they weren't thinking about that one. And I do know that in my life, there are many times where I forget the things that God has done for me, right? Like when I think of the miracles that God has done in my life, And the things that I have seen, God, in the life of this church, it's insane. I still, to this day, can smell the smell of the Providence High School drama dressing rooms— That's where we first started. And I remember peeking out from behind the curtain because back then I was one of the background vocalists. You didn't know that about me, did you? Um, Because we didn't have anyone who could really sing yet. And so I was getting the job done. And I remember peeking out from behind the curtain and wondering if people were gonna show up because we'd added a second service and every week, They did. And I remember during COVID wondering if people were really going to watch church online from their homes. And they did. And I've seen so many miracles in my own life and in my own family. And yet sometimes when a tough situation arises, I get this like sudden onset of spiritual amnesia and I completely forget all that I have seen God do with my seven loaves of bread. So maybe they did forget. That's still a possibility, but just go with me here because my December imagination was going and I started thinking, what if they didn't forget about the feeding of the 5,000? What if they actually remembered how much work it took to feed 5,000 men plus women and children? Because look, in my house, I am in charge of feeding five people. I always plan for a straight teenager or two as well. And some nights I, I cook, I like to cook. So some nights I cook, some nights we order food. And my strategy is always never throw food away because unless it's bad, which in my house, my kids know it has to look bad or smell bad. Otherwise you can eat it. Or if it tastes bad, spit it out, it's fine. <laughs> because I don't throw food away because somebody who's always hungry in my house. And so I always make sure that there's enough food in our fridge and in our pantry. And so some nights when I'm too tired to feed people and I don't want to go to the effort of cooking and I don't want to go to the effort of ordering and spending the money to order food, I'm just going to be honest with you. When a teenager looks at me and asks me, where in this remote place can we get enough food? I have a hard time mustering up the compassion of Jesus. So we don't break bread, we eat cereal. Feeding people is a lot of work. And I just wonder if the disciples remembered how much work it was to distribute food to thousands and thousands of people. Remember, they had been there for three days too and they were tired too and they had just enough left to split between the lot of them and go home. And so as I was feeling like I did not have enough during this busy Christmas season, it made me wonder if in this moment the disciples' problem was not not enough bread, but if their problem was not enough compassion. Stephen told us in his message that the disciples saw crowds when Jesus saw people. He had compassion for the people. He said, they've been here three days. They won't make it home if you don't give them something to eat, and when we're faced with a not enough moment, our first prayer should be, Lord, change what I see. I think the disciples wanted to eat their seven loaves and go home and get a shower and get some sleep. But Jesus had compassion on the hungry people, and he knew that he had more to give them. Jesus wanted this crowd to go home full, physically and spiritually, because he knew that often our physical needs are directly connected with our spiritual needs. And he wanted to feed the people through the hands of the disciples. Lord, change what I see. I want to see people, not problems. I want to have compassion for the hungry people around me every day, sometimes all day long. We're all dealing with hungry people. The person you work with, the lady ringing you up at Target, your kids, your kids' teacher, your mother in law, your neighbor, your spouse, the person standing too close to you on the subway, and it's complicated. And I know it's not easy, but each moment we have the opportunity to choose to see faceless crowds or hungry people. When you see hungry people, you will feel empathy and you will be moved to compassion. Something inside of you somehow sees someone's pain and responds to it. When you see faceless crowds, you're thinking about yourself. And this time of year, it is so easy to just get through. You're tired, you're worried, you're running out of time, but here's what I wanna say to you today. The level to which you are able to feel the presence of Christ this Christmas is directly related to how you treat the people in your everyday life. This is not an easy message. I don't think a lot of people are gonna be like, hey, "Amen." this is a hard one for me. But what I wanna, what, here's what, how I wanna say it. I am learning that I feel closer to God when I am kinder to others. Write that down, because that's the main thing I want you to remember from this sermon. I feel closer to God when I am kinder to others. Now, I was raised in church, and I was taught so many wonderful things about the Bible, and I was raised to understand the importance of reading my Bible and praying every day, and I was taught how important it is to attend church and serve and tithe and give, and all of these things help us to hear God and to know God and to grow in our faith. Those things are the essentials of our faith. An Elevation Church would not be what it is today, reaching people around the globe without the amazing people here who serve and lead and give and tithe. And if you're one of those people, thank you. We're still in the process of receiving our year end offering. And last week, many of you came forward and you gave. And that money enables us not only to spread the gospel further with the messages of this church and the amazing messages from our pastor and the songs and all, but it also helps us to truly be able to show the compassion of Jesus to people who are Actually, hungry and living in poverty. It enables us to provide disaster relief where it's needed and fund education programs and so much more. It's amazing what God can do when we give Him our loaves, right? However, you can do all of those things and miss the point. I heard a preacher once say that the greatest indication of your relationship with God is how you treat others. And not just how you treat the people that you love, although some of us treat the people we love the worst, but it's it's how you treat the people you don't understand. It's how you treat the people you don't agree with. It's how you treat people who have perhaps treated you poorly. In In Luke 6, Jesus says, If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. Because the scary thing is that the people that Jesus was the most harsh with in the Bible were the religious people, people who followed all the rules and attended church and prayed the prayers and made the sacrifices because these people have begun to think that doing those things made them closer to God and also better than everyone else. And there've been times in my life when I thought memorizing scripture and participating in Bible studies and abstaining from certain substances would make me feel closer to God. And don't get me wrong because all of those things play a huge role in my growth as a Christian, but the actual growth comes when I apply all of those things that I'm learning to my relationships and my interactions with others. And the longer I walk with God, here it is again, the more I realize that I feel the closest to God when I'm kind to others. Jesus says later in the book of John, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another by this... Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The way we treat others is what sets us apart as believers in Christ. So let me ask you this. If the only way for people in your life to know that you are a Christian was not by how often you went to church or how many Bible verses you knew, but was by how you treated other people, what would they say about you? Now listen, our outward actions do not change our status with God. It, it, the, the, the way I treat others makes me feel closer to God. But we're all covered by His grace. Thank God because we all have moments, right? Not too long ago I went to Home Goods and I think it was a Saturday because God and everybody was there and i drove around and there was only one parking space available and i drive a really big mom suv but i'm really good at parking it and so i whip into this space and I, and it was close but it's a big car that's how you drive it and and so i You know, I whip into this place and the owner of the car that I got really, really close to, like probably inches, she happened to be sitting in her vehicle and she watched the whole thing. And she looked at me and she was like, you almost hit my car. And I, you know, I've been driving around looking for this space for a while. And so I looked back at her and I was like, what? Because what... Was the best word I could think to say in the moment, you know? It's the best thing that could we all have moments. Moments we wish we could take back. Moments I'm not even gonna share with you here that are a lot worse than what happened at Home Goods. We all have moments that we know are covered by God's grace, but we hope that they're covered by people's grace too. And there's always forgiveness to be found in Christ, but we have to realize that our outward actions and our responses to others can affect our ability to sense the presence and the peace of God in our lives. And if you're wondering this Christmas why you don't feel close to Christ, why you don't feel peace in your heart, maybe you should check how you're treating other people. Unfortunately, we don't get to choose the people that God has placed in our lives and on our paths. We don't get to choose the family that we're born into. Maybe you didn't have to eat dinner at the grocery store. Mary didn't get to choose who came to worship Jesus that night in the stable, but we do get to choose how we see the people in our lives. and I know that the people in your life are messy. It's messy, and loving them is complicated. It's like the farthest thing from simple, what I'm asking you to do today, because I know there's history, and there's pain, and there's things that have been said, and there's the way people always have acted. I get it. I'm just asking you to think if you feel far from God this Christmas, you might need to ask God to help you change the way you see his sons and daughters, because you can have boundaries and be kind at the same time. You know that phrase, hurting people hurt people? I want to change it a little bit today and tell you hungry people hurt people. Have you ever been hangry, in the worst mood, because you haven't eaten anything, and if you would just eat something, everything would change? What if you could change someone's day by sharing some of your bread with them? The people that you encounter this Christmas, your family workers, your co-worker, your family workers, your family members, your co-workers, the person in front of you in line at the grocery store, they're all hungry. And I know you're hungry too, but I believe that God sent me here today to tell you that there is bread in your hands. Look back at the scripture. I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me for three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. The disciples answered, but where in this remote place could we get enough food to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. Seven was not much. They would have needed 13 for each of them to have one, but they had seven. And so they gave there's seven loaves to Jesus. You know that you don't have to give everyone a feast. You don't have to stop and pray with the waitress at lunch today, but you can smile and say thank you and give her a nice tip whether she got your order perfectly right or not. You don't have to be an annoying Christian to have compassion on the people around you. You can be kind within your own giftings and within your own personality. And I just want to say that extroverts aren't better Christians. They just like talking to people in line at Target. Sometimes kindness is listening, not talking. Listening to a story you've heard before. Listening to an opinion that you don't agree with. Sometimes compassion is just walking away. Sometimes the gift of compassion is biting your tongue. Sometimes kindness is making eye contact. I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's way simpler than you're making it out to be. Stephen says that I am a no eye contact person in public. And it's true. I don't know why. I, I'm, I'm in Harris Teeter. I have a job to do. I have hungry teenagers to feed. And sometimes I have my audio book in and I'm playing Candy Crush at the checkout. Okay, like, I'm, but sometimes I do that at home too. And I'm checked out. How can you even begin to see the people in your life? How can I even begin to see the people in my life when I'm constantly staring at my phone? And so while I'm up here preaching to myself, I feel like I should say to some of the people in this room that are running around and trying to make everything perfect and getting the gifts under the tree and wrapped and beautiful and the holiday meals and the class parties and the secret Santa and the family Christmas card and all of those wonderful, beautiful things. But you know what your family wants for, for, from you for Christmas this year? They want you to not freak out about the trash on the floor at 8.30 a.m. on Christmas morning. I'm saying that to myself. I know you're hungry too, but don't put kindness on your to-do list? Be like my mom. She said, you want bread? There's bread right here in the cart. God didn't ask the disciples to prepare a five-course meal. He said, how much bread do you have? What's in your cart? How can you see the people around you? Sometimes compassion is simply stopping to encourage someone that you know is going through a difficult season. It's that simple. Two weeks ago on a Saturday night, I was really stressed. I had a list a mile long to take care of, and I was also trying to prepare a sermon for, you know, a lot of people. And I was trying my best just to, you know, tackle one thing at a time. And I think I did a pretty okay job not taking it out on my kids and my family. But by the time that I went to bed, my stomach was in knots. And I don't know if any of you ever go to bed and you're just praying. You're like, God, just help me not forget anything that I've committed to do. And I woke up the next morning to a text from a staff member and a friend. um, Her name is Daytona. And she texted me and she said that she had woken up in the middle of the night and felt led to pray peace over us. And she just typed out a prayer about the peace of God having authority over me. That was bread. I woke up to bread right there on my phone because someone else stopped for a second to think about someone other than herself. You don't have to be a preacher or a Bible scholar or, you know, Mother Teresa to feed the hungry this Christmas. And if you're listening to this message and you're thinking, great, now I have to add more to my list. I need to find a soup kitchen for my family to serve at, you're totally missing the point. Obviously, if the opportunity arises for you to serve at an organization like that, you should do it. But the point is, having compassion is less about signing up to serve, and is more about what is right in front of who is right in front of you. A good friend of mine has been letting a teenage girl in her neighborhood live with her for weeks this Christmas because she has nowhere else to go except the foster care system. That is the compassion of Christ. When you have the faith to pray, Lord, here is my bread. Use what I have. God will always present you with an opportunity. In Mary's prayer, the one that she prayed after the angel came to her and told her that she was going to carry the Son of God, she starts off by saying, my soul magnifies the Lord. My heart rejoices in God, my savior, for he lifts the lowly. And then she goes on to say this beautiful thing. She says, for he has filled the hungry with good things. God has compassion for the hungry And the good news is he wants to feed them through you. The power came from Jesus, but the bread was in their hands. Here's the funny thing. Look at verse six. He told the crowds to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. Where did the fish come from? The disciples never mentioned any fish, but maybe someone saw the bread going around and they just threw their fish into the lot. When you give God what you have, when you give him what time you have, when you give him the ability you have, the resources that you have, you will always have more than enough. Someone's gonna throw some fish into the pile. There's always enough. The key is to see what you have. Count your loaves this morning and thank God for them. Ask him to bless them. So this looks like you wake up in the morning and you say, God, here's my bread today. Thank you for my health. Thank you for my job. Thank you for my family. Thank you for the home that we have to host people in. Thank you for the car that I have to go Christmas shopping in. Here's my time, God. Here's my day. Change how I see and interact with people today. Show me what I have in my hands. We're not going to get it right every time. We're human beings with feelings and emotions, and we're navigating our own hunger while simultaneously trying to feed others. But the faith to feed is directly connected to your proximity to Jesus. Think about the order. The disciples gave Jesus the bread. Jesus blessed it, gave it back to them. They passed it out over and over again until 4,000 people we're fed. Last Christmas, I was making a big meal for our family. And, you know, first I made a cake. We have this, um, chocolate chip pound cake that everybody likes. And so I was making that. And of course I licked the batter because that's the privilege of being the cook. And, um, then i made a cheese board cuz i wanted us to have you know appetizers and so i was snacking on the grapes and the cheese and i had to make sure the crackers weren't stale and then i i sliced the bread and that we were going to i was going to warm in the oven and so you know i ate the little the little end piece and i was making mashed potatoes and i had to taste those to make sure that they had enough salt and you know what By the time I sat down to that meal with my family, I don't know if this ever happened to you, I wasn't really hungry at all. Because the people in the kitchen have the most access to the food. And don't you think that the disciples were eating the bread and the fish as they passed it out? Of course they were. They got to it first. As long as they stayed close to Jesus, there was plenty for everyone. And when you're feeding others, it's an act of service. Of course it is, but you benefit from it. And I'm giving you permission this Christmas to lick the bowl. Watch God do something through your hands. He will supply you with everything you need. He will not only give you the compassion for the people you interact with, but he's also going to give you the energy to distribute it if you remain close to him. Stay in the kitchen this Christmas and experience the feeling of being full while you serve. Watch the energy shift in your heart and in your home while you see the people and you watch God do what he does with the bread that you have. Before Jesus, they had seven loaves. After they gave what they had to Jesus, they had so much left over, they couldn't even eat it all. They no longer had seven loaves. They had seven baskets Full. And the basket was the, the Hebrew word for the basket meant it was like the basket that Paul hid in. It was a basket big enough for a man to fit in. They had seven basketfuls left over. And I want to tell you that joy and peace and contentment is what's going to be in your baskets this Christmas. And you won't even know where it came from to stay close. The prophet Isaiah said the virgin will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Don't miss out on the nearness of Christ this Christmas. Fight for it with everything you have. Let the pain and the disappointments that you face this season draw you closer to Christ. Let the hardship and the questions that you have draw you closer to Jesus because everything flows from that close relationship with him. Before I close, I want to remind you also today that God's kindness and compassion is for you too. And maybe you should try being a little kinder to yourself this Christmas as well. Sometimes the person that you're the least kind to is yourself. You can't stop thinking about all the ways that you have messed up. And the enemy wants nothing more than to get in between you and Emmanuel. So the enemy's going to say to you, you should be farther along than you are now. And when he does, you press in to Emmanuel and you remind him how far God has brought you. When the enemy says to you, your kids deserve better. Then you. You remember that just like God placed Jesus in Mary's hands, God sovereignly placed your child, your children in your lap, and the bread that's in your hands is enough for you and for them. When the enemy tells you that you've made too many mistakes, you tell yourself that Jesus came to earth and died so that his grace would not only cover all of your sins, but empower you to live for him. John 10.10, Jesus said, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The message of Christmas, this, of, of Christmas is that Jesus humbled himself by becoming flesh and coming to earth. The Word became flesh, and it dwelt among us. His love for you is that great… Emmanuel, God with us, looks at you with the love and compassion and patience of a father today. He paid a great price for you. He took our guilt and our sin and our shame so that we could have life to the full. Not running on empty, running on full. Let him satisfy your soul today. As I close, I thought I could take the remaining moments that we have to just Reflect on what we've heard today and on the wonder of Christmas and the holy night when God became flesh, came to earth, that we might experience his love and compassion for us. Lord, we thank you for your word to us today. Would you seal it on our hearts? Thank you for your kindness to us, Lord. Thank you for your nearness to us in this moment. May we go out of here today full of the love and compassion of Christ for ourselves and may it overflow to all those around us. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your love and your kindness and your patience with us. Thank you for your grace that covers us. And most of all, we thank you for Jesus, that He came to Earth as a baby, so that we might know You. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.
0: Hey, I hope you enjoyed the podcast, and if you did, make sure to share it and subscribe, so we can get you all of these new messages as soon as they're available. I also want to take a moment and thank all of you who are a part of Elevation. Whether you support us financially or serve with us or just share these messages, it's because of you that we're able to reach people all around the world. And if you want more information on how to be a part of Elevation, click the link in the description. Thanks again for listening. Make sure to leave a review, share the message, and subscribe. God bless you.